Welcome to Habits for Happiness with Lady Fuller. The path to happiness is paved with healthy habits. We spend much of our lives searching for happiness when the key we're looking for is right there inside of us. We can discover that key through habit change, which you're about to learn about. Now, here is your host, Lady Fuller. Welcome to Habits for Happiness. I'm Lady Fuller, and this is the show where we discuss habits you can employ in your daily life to make your you happier. Here on Habits for Happiness today to talk about the habit of a daily walk is the wonderful Melody Wilding. And we're going to discuss ways to get you off the hamster wheel of your own life, <laughs> especially in Melody's world as she coaches sensitive women who are strivers. And that is totally me. So I'm so excited to talk to you. It's just very serendipitous that we are talking today. But let me just introduce you because you have the most amazing bio. Um, So let me just give everybody a quick rundown of who you are. And Melody is the author of Trust Yourself, Stop Overthinking, and Channel Your Emotions for Success at Work to to talk about her beautiful daily habit of walking. Learn how this habit has led to her own balance and success and how it can help you too. Melody was recently named to one of Business Insider's most innovative coaches for her groundbreaking work on sensitive strivers. Her clients include CEOs, C-level executives, and managers at top Fortune 500 companies, and all of the above, Google, Amazon, etc. Melody's been featured in New York Times, My Favorite, and Wall Street Journal, and is a contributor to the Harvard Business Review, Fast Company, Psychology Today, and Forbes, totally amazing. And Melody is a licensed social worker with a master's from Columbia and a professor in behavior change at Hunter College and behavior change. We had Gretchen Rubin on the show. She talked about all sort of human behavior. So all the human behavior people are my, are my people. I'm so happy to have you on. (laughs) I am thrilled to be here. Thank you for the amazing introduction. And I'm looking forward to this conversation. Me too. So before we get started, first, let's talk about what are you working on now? You've done so much as your bio states. So what's what's your latest and greatest? Right now, what is keeping me very busy is uh, my signature program, Resilient. That is where Mm -hmm. I work with sensitive strivers. It's pretty much my university (laughs) for sensitive strivers, all of my best teaching, training, as well as a supportive community for these folks. So that gets most of my attention. I have a select number of private one-on-one clients who are senior level leaders, CEOs. And I'm spending a lot of time also doing more teaching, training, speaking. I do LinkedIn learning courses, have a few of those coming out in the coming weeks. Um, So all of that is keeping keeping me pretty busy. I love that LinkedIn learning is awesome. I don't know if any listeners have used it before, but I sometimes will go and find things on LinkedIn learning while I'm between appointments or whatever and listen. And and it's a great platform, but tell us what I'm so curious about really. And we'll talk about walking in a second because I love walking is this idea that, you know, I'm a highly sensitive person and I'm also, I would say, a bit of an overachiever. So people could say I suffer from a bit of workaholism sometimes. And tell me, like, what led you in your journey to work with this niche of people? Because I've never actually found or there's only a handful of coaches or people that I know that even understand that there are highly sensitive people in the world like myself. So, So I guess first before you even launch into your journey, could you just tell us like what being a highly sensitive person means and what that might mean for listeners if they've never sort of really uh, put themselves in that category? It is 20% of the population. So it's highly likely that 
two out of 10 people are listening are a highly sensitive person. So take it away. Absolutely. You you said it excellently there that 20% of the population. So this is, we're not talking about sensitivity in some fluffy artistic sense here. It's a very real biological and genetic trait difference that one in five people has in how your brain processes dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine. So the brains of highly sensitive people actually process information more deeply. And that's been mm. shown in numerous studies for the, for the past 40 years. And high sensitivity really comes down to having a more attuned nervous system. So you may be more responsive, perceptive, observant to everything that is happening around you. So other people's emotions and behavior, but also your own. You have a very active internal world, let's say. Mm. Mm. Yeah. How did you know? <laughs> My nervous system is my life's work. But so tell us, like, if someone's listening and they're wondering if they are a highly sensitive person, tell us how someone would self-diagnose or (laughs) self-classify. Yes, self-assess. Yes, absolutely. Yes, self-assess. So if you are someone who experiences your own emotions to a high level of depth, complexity, if you're someone, you know, certainly there are times where I feel happy and sad and I'm frustrated and nervous all, all at the same time, that sort of emotional complexity and depth is very common. Being someone who needs to think before you act. So mm. if you are someone who really needs to deliberate or you tend to be a bit more cautious in uh, your decision-making, that's a great sign of high sensitivity because the tree evolved because back in prehistoric days, it was beneficial for one person in the group to be wary of the environment before, you know, mm-hmm. rushing out into a situation where you might get, you know, attacked by a lion, for example. So that's why sensitivity has lasted. But now it can look like, you know, everyone around you may be quick to move ahead on a plan, but you you need some more time to process it. Or a change Mm. happens, like you get a new job and you feel like it takes you more time to acclimate and adjust than it does your peers or your spouse, for example. So all of those are. Yeah. So transitions could be hard. So if transitions are hard for you and processing, you know, I I don't move slowly, but I know for me, transitions and letting go of things are much harder. Right. And um, I also know that for me as a highly sensitive person, um, loud noises are tough. Um, Mm -hmm. Other things like a lot of people are tough and anything that's sensory, right. That's overloading me sensory. And I spend, I'm an extrovert, I'm introverted extrovert. I like people, but I really need a lot of time to be alone. So, so amazing that you're working with people in this space and tell us what led you in your journey to work with highly sensitive women that are, you know, super achievers. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is that I I think I carved out this niche, not realizing Mm. it, just sort of being Mm. who I was kind of talking about some of the challenges, maybe that I most closely related to. And I started attracting a certain type of person Mm. and started to notice these patterns where there was a sensitivity side Uh, some of the challenges that come along with that, absorbing other people's emotions, um, feeling really easily impacted by stress. Mm -hmm. Like you were saying, just having that high sensory overload that Mm -hmm. everything's 
draining for you. It just takes you more time to recover. Having more intense emotional reactions, being a bit of a people pleaser, but also the striving side. So being Mm. very driven, ambitious, wanting to get the A plus in everything that you do, putting a lot of pressure on yourself to achieve goals. So I noticed that these patterns in my clients and then realized, oh, wait, this is me too. <laughs> this, yeah. is my, this is my exact story. So they say you teach what you most need to learn. And that is right. 100% right. true. in in my case, and you attract people, you know, we live in a mirroring universe. So we do attract people yes. that are mirroring ourselves in some way. So for people that may be listening and thinking, and it's coming up for me, what would be the difference between an empath and a highly sensitive person? Because mm-hmm. being empathic is really, and you tell us. <laughs> yes. It's one of those uh, Venn diagram type of okay. situations. Hmm. So uh, an empath has the ability to more deeply sense what other people are feeling. Um, Mm. And I find empath tends to be used a little more in the spiritual sense as well. But Mm. sensitivity is really having the biological wiring. So Mm. an empath may not be as affected by loud noises. They may not have that tendency to be slower to react to to change, for example. But sensitive people in my opinion, at least what I've seen from my work is that almost all sensitive people are empaths, but not all empaths are sensitive. There's a high degree of overlap, but Mm. I find most sensitive people are empaths because studies have shown that high sensitivity comes with having more active mirror neurons. Okay. Tell us, because this is important. This is an important part. Mirror neurons. Okay. (laughs) So mirror neurons, lady, I'm sure you're familiar with this for everyone. But for the listeners, it's like, this is like totally amazing. And everybody's part your ear, turn up the volume, because this is an important part of how law of attraction and all how the world works. Yes. Yes. So your mirror neurons are a part of your brain that attune to other people's behavior and as the word implies, mirror it or are able to sense it. So Mm. sensitive people, they don't have more mirror neurons, but they're more active. They're firing more. Mm. So this is why many of us can walk into a room and we immediately sense something is off because your brain in fractions of a second is attuning to people's body language, maybe a grimace on somebody's face, maybe just the way they're holding themselves, whatever it may be, but you're processing that more quickly and more deeply than someone who is not sensitive. And that's having those more active mirror neurons is a quality of being an empath because you're much more attuned to other people's behavior and almost feeling what they're feeling many times. So we can have that like emotional. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes. It's exhausting. I can say from personal, personal uh, <laughs> experience, mm-hmm. it can be quite exhausting to be empathic. So um, just tell us, so, so let's go back a little bit. So you led, you got to the space, you started coaching these people and they came to you, the mirror neurons were firing. So, right. What we think about also happens right in this sort of mirror yeah. neuron sort of space. And you became a coach and a speaker and sort of off to the races. I love that. <laughs> so tell us, I mean, I know, at least for me, I'm, I'm waiting with bated breath. 
you know, you chose today the habit of a daily walk. And we know that a daily walk helps us sensitive strivers Mm -hmm. in our, in our lives to calm our nervous systems, which again, as I mentioned before, is sort of my daily practice is to get my nervous system Mm -hmm. in a place where I can actually interact with other human beings, which I do for a living. So, so tell us why a daily walk. And then I want to go back from there. We'll go backwards. Okay. Yeah. So many reasons. I I think one of the most important ones is having that integration time because Mm -hmm. I find probably like most people that are listening, I spend 90% of my day in front of the computer. And when I'm in that mode, I'm very much, it's like I have blinders on. I'm in execution, Mm -hmm. get things done, check the boxes. Mm -hmm. I'm very much in striver mode. Like, mobilized. Just, You're in a mobilized state. We had Jay Fields on, yes. who's a somatic um, therapist, and she was telling us about immobilized and mobilized. So you're in the mobilized state. Yes. And Jay is a good friend of mine. So that's <laughs> amazing. <laughs> um, she's brilliant. We uh, love her. She is brilliant. <laughs> fantastic. She's fantastic. Everyone go listen. To yes, that yes, 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 yes. Um, but yeah, you're in this execution mobilized state and the walks allow me to get into the sensitive state Mm -hmm. where my brain can start to make connections. I can reflect. I can think more deeply. It's almost as, you know, it's more diffuse thinking where I can start to Mm -hmm. leverage that power of your sensitive mind, which another superpower we have is being able to make those cross connections and seeing gaps and opportunities that other Mm -hmm. people miss. And if I am constantly just in doing, I will I won't be able to have that space. So the walk Mm -hmm. just gives me that little bit of distance to be able to reflect and and integrate. Reflect and integrate. So tell us about your habits with a daily walk. Yeah, it has changed a bit over time, but this daily walk really started at the beginning of the pandemic. Okay, awesome. Great time to be walking. (laughs) (laughs) Great time to be walking, just feeling trapped inside all of the mm-hmm. time, just feeling the pressure and the weight of the world. And I started taking probably hour or 90 minute walks every day just to mm-hmm. move, just to get away from it all. Because at that time there was just so much news and uncertainty and everything coming at you from every angle. So it was just an opportunity to disconnect. To, as you were saying, regulating my nervous system. Mm-hmm. I have found that especially over the last year or so is almost more important. It's the lead domino in everything I do because it's the lead domino. I just want to say, just repeat that because that's such an important point. Keep going. Sorry to interrupt you. If I am not grounded and I'm not in my best state, I'm not Mm -hmm. of good use to anyone. I'm not of good use to my clients. I'm not, I, I can't, reach my maximum creativity in my writing. So just having that time where I'm sort of discharging all of the stress and disconnecting from everything has been a lifesaver. Um, so I, I don't walk for maybe 60 or 90 minutes. Usually it's more like 30 or 40 every day, but it's something I look forward to because it's just such, um, it's like hitting the reset button every day. Mm. I love this idea of you. I have this sort of vision of you walking and like, you know, the layers coming off, like you're diffusing, as you said, to use your words. It's such a beautiful metaphor. And what time of day do you walk? 
It, uh, usually in the winter, I'll walk in the evenings because here Mm -hmm. I'm in New York. So usually in the evenings it's warmer and you're able to get outside. Um, and sometimes during the summers I'll go in the morning because it's just so Mm -hmm. peaceful and quiet. It's cool. Uh, it's just such a great way to start the day with something for you before you dive Mm -hmm. into all of the busyness and, and chaos. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that, um, you know, I'm a big, speaking of mornings, a big miracle morning fan of Hal Elrod. So I teach my clients how to have a morning routine that often involves a little bit of exercise. So I, you know, we talk a lot about walking and tell us, do you have a morning routine and what is that like if you do have one? I do. I do. So every morning, <laughs> I, pretty much every morning I work out, I do strength training <laughs> and I think that's, I, I do want to highlight this because I, that's a switch I've made um, Mm -hmm. walking and strength training, because all of my life, I have been a person of high intensity. (laughs) Like if I'm doing something, I'm doing something 125%. And that was with my laughing. I'm laughing because this is me. And I also is a, is it just for anyone listening, trying to do everything 110% is a goal killer, right? It's a goal killer. So if you want to have consistent habits, we try to, to turn the volume down on this overachieving. So go ahead. Exactly. But also realizing how that was really abusing my nervous Mm. system. It was Mm. just decimating me. I was adding on, you know, having a a stressful uh, job or having a job where you were really holding space and supporting other people. You have a lot of energetic uh, load that you're putting on yourself. Mm. And then you're just adding more stress to yourself. Mm. So switching to things that are a bit lower intensity, like strength training and walking never in my life. If I was going to be moving, I was going to be running, you know, or doing something that was, you know, training for a race, you know, something goal oriented. Yes, exactly. So that that's been a change. So usually I start all of my mornings with some sort of strength training, Um, And then while I'm eating breakfast, I'm usually watching a a LinkedIn learning course or some other sort of educational video. Mm. So I love to just have that input. First thing, I'm a person who really thrives on high input. So podcasts Mm. and tons of training and education. Um, And then I usually, I know this doesn't work for everyone, but I clear the decks before I dive Mm. into my most important project. Tell so, us what clear the decks looks like for you, because this is yes. amazing. This is like, this is an amazing habit. And it's so, so helpful for everyone, whether you're highly sensitive or not. So go ahead. Yes. So for me, I do triage my inbox. <laughs> I know mm. that might be controversial in the productivity world, but I clear out my inbox. I, I triage and then I dive into what are, I don't want to say not valuable tasks, but what are fairly easy tasks that I can knock out? Mm. What I'm focused on is how do I build a sense of momentum and mastery so that I have, I I have a good feeling under my belt that allows Mm. me to dive into my bigger project. Because if I feel like I have momentum, like, okay, I knocked a few things out. I'm making progress here. That allows me to have the confidence to say, okay, now I can tackle this big, difficult thing. This is just personal for me as a sensitive person. I feel like if I have all of the nagging tasks in the back of my brain, it's really hard for me to focus on the big things because it just feels way too 
cluttered in my mind. Mm -hmm. So I, I take maybe about an hour to triage, tackle some of those smaller tasks, and then I dive into my sort of meaty project meaty projects. And I'm a huge getting things done fan for anyone who's a fan of self-help books from the 1990s, maybe from the 1980s. But the wonderful thing in getting things done is he really uh, espouses the idea of less than 20 emails in your inbox. So I don't know if you have thoughts on that. <laughs> when you say clearing the decks, does that mean, you know, getting it to a, to a, to a smaller number in your inbox? It does. I am an inbox zero person. Please. Okay. Yep. <laughs> You're no, doing no, things at the 110%. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Right. You know, when people show me their emails and it has like 3000, sorry, listeners, um, uh, emails in their inbox, I have a bit of a fluttery, my little heart flutters, but um, it is wonderful to be able to delete and triage and file and then have sort of a clean space to work from in the morning. So yes. you clean the decks and then what, is there something else in your morning routine? Yeah. So I try to, um, how do I say this? I try to time box my, my days and mm -hmm. I like to earmark some days for creative deep work. So I do a lot of writing content creation, or I have client focused days. So for me, it's helpful if I'm in one mode, just be in that mode. So I have mm -hmm. a big block of time that I can write, for example, and I can just really get in the mode without interruption, without task switching. Yep, or this is batching, batching, batching. Thank yes. you. That's the word I'm looking for. Yes. Yes. Batching. batching. <laughs> yes. Or if I have clients, I can just be on and I'm sort of in that coaching brain without having to switch to, okay, what was I, where was I in this article and, and trying to get warm up my brain to that. So mm -hmm. that's very helpful to me in, in managing my calendar is that batching approach of grouping like tasks with like, but also having big blocks of time where I can really get into flow and not that. be interrupted. That's a great habit. That's such a great habit. So before we transition, is there anything else in your morning routine that you want to share with us? Let's see. Uh, this is small. This is small, but I do. We like the small habits go farther. Okay. As, as I told the client <laughs> this morning, poco a poco, <laughs> little by little is how we get to where we want to go. This is small, but I, I say good morning to my mom every single morning. And it is just, it's just a highlight in my day that makes me feel good, makes me feel connected. Um, and just reminds me that there's more, there's more to life than just your work and the tasks you need to accomplish. So. Oh, I love that. So to say hello to someone you love. It's a, it's a gratitude yes. practice, isn't it? Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. I'm sure she loves that. Lucky her. <laughs> she loves Lucky that. Lucky you. Yes. 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 So, so what I would love to know, like where in your journey did you know that you were highly sensitive or a sensitive person? Was it something that you always knew or is it something that you came to know? It's interesting. I always knew I was sensitive, but mm -hmm. not, not in the sense I understand it now. So I always knew that I was more emotional. I cried more easily. <laughs> you know, Bambi was a real <laughs> very difficult situation to deal with when I was little. Um, but, but even things I can remember one time, my parents um, brought me to a surprise party and that my response, I was so scared. I, I, I really couldn't handle it and they couldn't understand that. And I didn't understand it at the time, 
But now looking back, I see that's because of my sensitivity Mm -hmm. and because Mm -hmm. when you're sensitive, having just something so stimulating like that kind of thrown on you Mm -hmm. is a lot. Um, So there were breadcrumbs, but it wasn't until probably my uh, early 20s, mid 20s that I read Dr. Elaine Aaron's book, The Highly Sensitive Person. And it was like the, the gates opened up. You're like, they're talking about me. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. Just that's how I felt when the first time I ever read Judith Orloff's work and she writes, you know, it's an empath survival guide. I was like, little did I know people like me exist on the planet. Yes. Yes. It was very, um, I felt a sense of belonging. (laughs) Yeah. And just, just knowing that this is not a character flaw, you know, the, the mm-hmm. way you are, that it's a, it's a real thing that other, as you were saying that, oh, wait, other people feel this way because I had always felt so different from everyone around me. And I couldn't understand why I wasn't tough enough and why I didn't have a thick enough skin. And I couldn't change that really. Um, so that was really the floodgate that opened up that this is a real term. Um, and, and I've always been very passionate and it's very important to me that I don't use being highly sensitive as a scapegoat that mm. I, I recognize, important. yes, that I recognize that it's a superpower, but I don't blame some of the shortcomings or areas I have to improve on. Well, that's just the way it is because I'm highly sensitive. So that that's always been very important to me. Yeah. And we're going to go to break, but before we go, I just want to tease what's coming next because what I really want to talk about, and it's probably my most exciting question is, you know, how can highly sensitive people or empaths use their sensitivity as a superpower? Because I really believe it's a superpower. And yes, it means that we might have to take on some other type of habits in order to calm our nervous system down on a daily basis, but it is a superpower and sort of the how that's That's really like the meat and potatoes of everything. So hang in there, everybody. We're going to head to a break, but um, we'll be right back. Melody Walding talking about sensitive strivers and the habit of walking and other habits to calm our nervous system, especially if we are sensitive. So be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Try out a free coaching session with your host, Lady Fuller, to learn more about our individualized and corporate coaching programs. Learn to drop bad habits and pick up healthier habits to live a healthier life. Email her at lady at happinessmba.com. That's L-A-D-Y at happiness mba.com or check out our coaching business at habits the letter for happiness.com voice america programs are now available on your favorite connected device including amazon alexa and google home through streams with apple podcasts tune in and iHeartRadio. listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast hey alexa Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Want to reward clients, customers, or employees with a gift that will blow their socks off? We at International Gifting Company have your next corporate event covered. 
we carry 250 personalized gifts for on-site incentive events. Or we can create virtual gift boxes your employees and clients can receive at home. Contact us today for a quick and free proposal. We love to wow. Contact info at intlgiftingco.com or check out our webpage at intlgiftingco.com. It's your world. Motivate, change, succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Habits for Happiness. To reach the show today, call into 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. Now, back to our program, and here again is Lady Fuller. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for hanging in there. We're back here on Habits for Happiness, talking with Melody Wilding, coach, author, speaker, extraordinaire, talking to us about the habit of walking and other ways that we can calm our nervous system, especially if we find ourselves to be sensitive strivers. Although I should say the habit of walking is good for everyone, no matter their age and how they identify as a sensitive, sensitive, highly sensitive person or not. But for those that may find themselves somewhere on the spectrum of sensitivity, I would love to discuss how can our sensitivity be a superpower? So my question is, when someone comes to you as a coach, let's say, and says, I'm so sensitive and it's kept me from the world, experiencing the world, how do we reframe that as a superpower? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so many layers to this because sensitivity is not just one quality. And in the book, I actually talk about how it's made up of six key qualities. Mm -hmm. And all of those have challenges, but they all have upsides. So I think one that is especially relevant for women is our strong intuition Mm. that unfortunately, many of us over time through conditioning push down we ignore that voice, we disregard it when it comes up, but that strong intuition is really the product of discerning, of taking in everything around us. And it's, it's almost this knowledge that in fractions of a second, your nervous system and un- subconscious can bring up for you without your conscious awareness of it. Yet, so many of us don't really utilize that in the way we could to inform how we live our lives, how we, how we navigate our habits, right? We were talking about is, you know, certain uh, fitness, is that too much intensity? Well, you really have mm-hmm. to tune into your intuition to say, what do I need? What does my body need right now? Um, so that's one of the most important ways that I see people can really start to leverage their sensitivity as a strength for themselves. For their intuition, which I love this. Yes. And I just want to point out to all listeners, whether you identify as, you know, assess yourself as sensitive or not, we all have this beautiful power of intuition, intuition that lives really below our necks. So, you know, being able to tap into what I would call, you know, to, to steal a little bit from Elizabeth Gilbert here in her book, Big Magic, all of us have this genius sort of living in our hearts, which is our intuition. And most of us don't tap into it very often. And it has all the answers that we've been looking for out there most all of our lives, right? It's like we have this 
God box, if you would call it, or universe box sitting inside of us. And we don't necessarily always tap into it, which is, which is really a gift of being sensitive, but it's a gift for all of us, you know? Um, you know, Rumi always has this, this quote, or one of my favorite Rumi quotes is that you've been looking your whole life for the pearl necklace that's around your neck, right? It's intuition. So I know the habit of walking can help us with our intuitions, right? Mm -hmm. And bring it to life. What other habits can help us listen to our intuition? Absolutely. Making that quiet space and intuition thrives when there's space and not just Mm -hmm. constant noise all the time. So the walks are important for that. Intuition is a muscle. And like I said, so many Mm -hmm. of us have let that muscle atrophy. So just start making small decisions by tuning into your gut. What do you want to wear that day? What do you want to eat? Right? What If you go for a walk, which direction do you want to go? It's those micro decisions and those commitments that lead to greater self-trust. I love this so, so much. I love this idea that our intuition can lead is a, you know, is a muscle that we need to practice using, right? I always tell my clients, it's important to go to the spiritual gym, right? It's uh, just like the physical gym. We don't necessarily, we're not going because it's a path to healing. Like healing's not a journey. It's that we're trying to condition ourselves to be able to operate in this crazy world with more compassion and grace. Um, and I believe in my belief, at least, I don't know if you agree, intuition is the way, you know, is what we can exercise in the spiritual gym to get us, you know, farther along in our journeys. 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what other ways um, is sensitivity a superpower even beyond intuition? Yeah. Our emotional intelligence is really unmatched. <laughs> you know, we were mm. talking before about the ability to read the room and so many sensitive strivers are people that are very skilled at reading between the lines. So understanding what someone is saying without them actually using their words to say that. So I coach a lot of professionals in the workplace, a lot of leaders, for example, and they will often be able to realize that something is going on with a certain team member, somebody's burning out or has a personal issue that's getting in their way long before other people see it. And Mm. because of that, because of that emotional perceptiveness and caring compassion for other people, they're able to do something about it, not just to help that person, but also make sure that the team stays on track, make sure that the company doesn't lose any projects or the or profit doesn't get off track. So that emotional intelligence, um, and frankly, just creating a safe space for people where people feel comfortable voicing their concerns. They feel comfortable taking risks. That psychological safety is, it's priceless. Yeah. Psychological safety is priceless. And I want to say just being able to tune in to what's happening at work, especially with people, because I just had this conversation with someone that, you know, organizations for the most part, they're just constructs of our imagination, right? They're just intangibles, right? It's not like, yes, there's an office, but like, it's not like a corporation is like a physical thing you can like touch and feel. It's just really a collection of people all working towards the same goal. And so if people are sort of the assets, even if you have a corporation that has physical inventory or whatever, people are like sort of the cogs and the wheel. And so to be able to tune into them and know before maybe everyone else, you know, on your floor knows that someone needs something 
is really a skill that's quite unparalleled, which leads me to my next question. So um, I know in my experience, and I'm, I'm curious in your experience that I've often been able to tune in to sort of maybe a person, either a coach or a person that I'm in, in relation with or a person who I work with and know sort of like, you know, I, what I guess we would call their energy or their body language is telling you something very loudly, but they may be saying with their words, something different. And that incongruence oftentimes, especially for us intuitive, more intuitive empathic people can be quite like off-putting and confusing. Mm -hmm. And I guess in your experience, what is the best way to sort of deal with that? Or have you encountered that even? Oh, yes. Encounter it all the time, right? There's that <laughs> yeah. it's, it's great. It's very, it's that, that dissonance, right? The person's telling yes. you they're fine, but they're nonverbals. They're clearly not fine. Yes. Right. What I think is important, especially for sensitive strivers, is to ask yourself, what am I making this mean about me? Mm. And I say mm. that because this type of person has a tendency to internalize people's behavior as some fault of their own to say, well, this person is saying they're fine, but they, they seem unhappy. So what did I do wrong? Where am I not living up enough or, or being adequate enough for them? So that question of what am I making this mean about me helps you just pause enough to make sure that you're not negatively interpreting someone's behavior to fit some unhelpful narrative about yourself. Yes. Yes. It is very, very tough for sensitive people to not think that everyone's behavior is a reflection of them. Yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> One of exactly. the things I often work on with my clients is this concept that not only is everyone else's behavior a reflection of them, not you, you also aren't responsible, which is another thing we haven't really discussed for everyone else, because I find one of the big sort of uh, paradigm shifts that I have with my clients is this idea that most of my clients come to me, they're highly sensitive, that they believe that they are responsible for taking care of everyone in their universe. And that is not only exhausting, but they're trying to give, overgive to people that did not ask for their help, which leads them to be resentful and disappointed that they're not uh, appreciated. And then leads them into other behaviors of self-loathing, which could even lead to, you know, this resentment cycle, which is includes even self-sabotage because they're thinking or, you know, they, they may mm -hmm. pick up unhealthy behaviors and habits because they're feeling like they're underappreciated and they're trying to do everything for everyone. So what would you say to someone that feels like taking care of everyone else is their responsibility? And I'm not talking about young children. I'm talking about yes. like every, you know, every co-peer, of course, spouse, yes. everything. Yes. You nailed it. What you're talking about is classic over-functioning, right? Taking mm. on more responsibility than is yours, fixing situations, rescuing other people, mm -hmm. having goals or doing things for them that they can do for themselves, right? Mm. Classic over-functioning. So you also said another important word in there and that's resentment. Mm. Resentment is a very, very strong emotional signal that you are giving too much of yourself and you have, you have let that go too far. Perhaps the situation has gone on for too long and you haven't addressed it. So I would encourage everyone, and I do this with my clients, to do an emotional audit. 
use those emotion emotions as signals to point you towards situations where you need to set better boundaries. Mm. So for the overfunctioners, this may sound harsh, but you do need to be comfortable letting people fail and appropriately, of course. But even if we yes. are talking about kids, you know, you let your child fall down, you know, not, not to greatly hurt themselves. Well, when it yes. to walk, you let them fall down and then they get back up. That's how they learn to strengthen themselves. Right. And because without those natural consequences, then yes. they'll never learn. Right. And then yes. we, we go into like learned helplessness, which is yes. another, another place, which we, we need another show for, but exactly this. Okay. So letting them fail. <laughs> exactly. But letting people experience the consequences of their actions, right? So starting to pull back and not rushing in to fix problems for other people, coaching them on finding their own solutions. I think that's probably the easiest step of instead of saying, oh, well, I'll just do this. Coaching someone else to say, well, what have you tried so far? What did you consider? What might you think about next, right? Coaching them to find their own solution rather than just jumping to, I'll do it or I'll tell you the answer because that just creates that under-functioning in them where they are overly dependent on you. So they're not building the ownership, the accountability that they need, that they need to be successful. And you don't want to be the one to deprive them of that. So I think I that's that a big, so much. Yeah. So tell me where does over-functioning come from? Why do we do that? Yes. A few places. I think one of them is from a as sensitive people, we really do have a genuine desire to help others. We care about other people. We don't want to see others fail. So I, I really think there is a values component there. But more importantly, I think it's about self-preservation and self-confidence. Many times we overfunction because we want to feel valuable. We want to feel worthy to other people. And we think the only way we can do that is by doing more. And mm. being the one, you know, I will hear clients say that I'm afraid to let go because what if I find out my team doesn't need me, right? Or I'm not as important as I thought it, I was. And mm. so there really is this, um, we gain our self-worth through the value we bring to other people. And that's a very slippery slope because then you're always dependent on external validation, other people's approval to feel good enough about yourself. Right. And, and our validation should come from within, not from without. So I bet you have a lot of listeners right now, or we have a lot of listeners who are thinking, that's me, I overfunction. And you did say it's best to pull back. So how does someone pull back? How does someone begin to let set the boundaries, right? Because as you said so beautifully, resentment is a signal to us that we need to have clear boundaries, right? It's an important yeah. signal. It's an important emotional signal. It's not something we can just like let go, which spiritual bypassing. So tell us when you're feeling resentment, what's the best next step? Yeah. Well, I think first and foremost, and you know this, that success is an inside job, right? And we have to attend to our own beliefs before we tend to external actions. Absolutely. So I think starting, yeah. And I think starting to reframe, oftentimes we think if I'm not, if I'm not helping somebody else, then that makes me a bad person or a bad teammate. And it's starting to update the scripts that we tell ourselves to say, actually, no, it's, it's healthy for 
me to shift responsibilities onto other people because that's how they learn and grow. And actually the better use of my time and energy is doing these higher value tasks that Mm. only I can do, right? So there is some changing of your own internal thinking about where your value lies the most. And then once you have that in place, actions can follow a little more smoothly. Yeah. And so a part of that is also accepting help, right? Not having yes. to be the fixer, yes. but accepting exactly. others, people's help. Because I know for me as a sensitive person, I tend to think, oh, I'll just do it all myself, right? I get hyper-independence. Um, I actually can fall yeah. into isolation. People that know me might be laughing mm-hmm. um, because I think, well, you know, it's becomes sort of this arrogant thing. Like I, you know, no one else can do it as well as I can. So I'm just going to do it all. And then I'm going to be exhausted and then I'm going to be resentful that no one else can meet my needs, but I haven't given them an opportunity to. So it's the self-fulfilling prophecy of me feeling exhausted and depleted and then <laughs> isolating more, right? So so setting boundaries and accepting help, um, those, are, those are amazing ways. So yes. I also want to talk about this idea of if you're highly sensitive, besides walking, which I love so much as a habit because, and going back to it, because it is a habit that no matter your age, my dad just turned 85 and he's a huge walker. Um, You can walk. It doesn't have any injuries. Um, You know, we had Libby Delena on the show. She wrote a book called On Walking and she's walked every single day. She lives in Massachusetts for 10 years. She's walked every day, even in the freezing cold. Yeah. Um, And she's never Mm -hmm. had a walking injury right? This is a beautiful habit mm-hmm. of moving your body. And if you're a Tony Robbins fan, you love this. I love this idea of, you know, our physiology is really, is really important and our ability to move everything through us. So for highly sensitive people, what are some other habits of being able to calm their nervous system? You had mentioned getting quiet to listen to your intuition, walking, what else? Yes. Yes. Uh- I think an important one is learning to acknowledge and celebrate your own accomplishments. Mm. And this is important for regulating your nervous system, because if you are constantly feeling like you are falling behind, you are never doing enough, right? Nothing that I do, it's ever, it's never enough. Your nervous system is constantly going to be in a state of stress and fear and scarcity. But if you are acknowledging yourself for having a tough conversation, for setting a small boundary, for drinking enough water that day, right? Once you start to see all of these small wins and start to internalize them as victories, instead of just thinking, oh, that was nothing, right? And and dismissing them, you start to downregulate or, you know, re-regulate your nervous system to be just much more balanced in gratitude and more of that sort of receptive mode instead of that sort of grasping and pushing and forcing everything. So I think that's a important one. It's it's definitely a hard one for us Mm -hmm, sensitive drivers mm -hmm, to slow down mm -hmm. enough and to give ourselves that acknowledgement that the little things are actually big things, but it's, it's so important. Yeah, totally. And I mean, even Gretchen Rubin talked about this idea of a to-do list, which is at the end of the day, instead of writing, you know, we all have a to-do list, especially anybody who's a striver who's listening knows that Mm -hmm. we all sort of live by our to-do list, whether that's right or wrong is again, a different show, but this to-do list of, of writing down, maybe the three things you're most proud of that you did that day. There is a, a calming sense to that, um, to, to acknowledge that for ourselves. And it's hard to do because we do find at least I can only speak for myself, ha ha ha, that I find myself dropping into scarcity often because it's a motivator to then be a striver, 
right? Because if I feel like I'm in abundance, I'm worried I'll get lazy Mm -hmm. and will stop striving. And somehow the striving keeps me safe and away Mm -hmm. from feeling other people's feelings, which is, I feel too much, right? So it's all this whole cycle. So thank you so much for sharing yourself with us today. And I just want you just, you tell us like, if people want to coach with you, if people want to find more of you, if they want you to speak at their next corporate event, they want to buy your book, tell us how they can find more of you. Thank you so much. This was fantastic. I loved everywhere we went in this conversation. Yes. Yes. Me too. The the best way to connect with me is on my website, melodywilding.com. And you can also find me on LinkedIn at Melody Wilding. Awesome. Awesome. And so if people, they can book you for what, tell us what you can do. You have a book out. So tell us the name of that book. Yes. So you can grab my book. That's called trust yourself, stop overthinking and channel your emotions for success at work. It's available wherever books are sold. Uh, You can check out my coaching programs. My signature coaching program is called Resilient. That is basically my university for sensitive strivers and giving you all the tools and strategies you need to be more successful. I take a very small number of private coaching clients each year, and I do speaking and training for companies. I also have a number of LinkedIn courses that you can take as well. Oh, I love that so much. And Melody, I just want to thank you so much for being on our show today. And I want everyone to just tune in next week for a wonderful um, habit that may change their life. And if you want to continue this riveting conversation, please follow us at, at Habits for Happiness on Facebook. And please check out Melody on her site. Um, this has been amazing. And I just love every, again, everywhere we went, we covered so many topics and I could talk to you for ages, but <laughs> thanks everyone for listening. And thank Thank you, Melody, for your time and your energy today. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Habits for Happiness. Please join Lady Fuller for another edition of the program next Friday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, discover how to find your new happy place.